Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello there and welcome to Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions. Amanda Howard, the serial killer whisperer, is always full of surprises. Hello, Amanda. <laughs> Hello, Robert. And a surprise, I have to say happy birthday. Ah. So when this goes to air, it's already been your birthday, but I thought I'd wish you happy birthday on air as well. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, a <laughs> sprightly 47 I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the weird thing is I didn't realise my birthday was coming up and then we hit June and I went, oh, my birthday soon. I couldn't have even told you if it was on a Saturday, a weekday or whenever. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I it, That's just where I am in life at the moment. I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, usually yours is basically ar- ar- around the Queen's birthday long weekend, mm. but the long weekend was a week early yeah. this this year, so it, was, so, so it totally threw me. Yes, I always thought it was in honour of me being a great big queen, but uh, apparently <laughs> yeah. not. Uh, so, Amanda, we're not doing a serial killer today. This is two weeks in a row we're not doing a serial killer. What's going on? Well, we've got to mix things up sometimes and keep people interested. So we're doing a mass murder this week. We're doing Dylan Roof. Mm. So uh, it's a it's a recent case. So this was a very interesting uh, interview as well. Okay. Well, we look forward to getting to that in our psychological profile. In the meantime, let's get to the news. The family of an East County man murdered in 1983 by a notorious husband and wife serial killer team wants to make sure the convicted couple stays in prison for the rest of their lives. NBC News 7 in San Diego has more. He loved animals. Um, Dad would never let us have a dog, but he brought a dog home once. He got to keep it. (laughs) Diane Winder of Spring Valley with heartfelt memories of her brother. John Hellyer was killed in January 1983 in Santa Rosa, California. He was 30 years old. Suzanne and Michael Bear Carson confessed to the murder and at least two others. You don't really understand how that feels until it happens to your family. You know, I I was in shock. You know, I couldn't believe that this could happen. It was a notorious high-profile case back then. They were dubbed the San Francisco Witch Killers because they thought their victims were witches. John Hellyer picked up the couple as they were hitchhiking. He gave them shelter, but then an argument. She claimed that her husband had to kill him because he inappropriately touched her which I'm sure he didn't. They probably sat together and his leg might have touched her leg and she used that as an excuse. I don't know. Witnesses say he was shot at point-blank range as he begged for help. The couple was sentenced to 75 years to life in prison for the three murders. Tomorrow, Michael Carson, who's now 70 years old, will have a parole hearing. I really don't think they have a chance in hell to get you know parole. Danny Hellyer, John's younger brother, now lives in Utah. How can there be people like that on this earth that would do something so awful to kill somebody? I mean, to me, that's just beyond my imagination. Danny and Diane both plan to take part in the hearing via Skype. They say the couple has never expressed remorse. And I think he would kill again. 
because I think that's all he knows. I find that interesting, Amanda, that the couple have never expressed remorse. Wouldn't you even do that just to look good for the parole board? Well, I mean, this is this is a couple that actually held a press conference to confess to the crimes. I mean, right. This case is, is is just beyond belief. But then they recanted their confessions and they've done that forever. <laughs> but um, parole <laughs> boards aren't dumb. I mean, well, sometimes we, we we don't like their decisions, but they know if someone's going to suddenly go, oh yes, I'm sorry, I I'm, I want forgiveness for what I've done. But this couple have never done that, and there's a lot of killer couples that do this, and they actually play off each other to see who can go the longest and and not break. Right. Um, but Michael Bear Carson is is a violent man, and and I totally agree that if he was released from prison, he he would likely kill again if he was fit enough to. Well, let's hope they don't release him. David Brooks, who was serving a life sentence for his part in the murders of six teenagers in 1970 has died at the age of 65. Brooks turned himself in over the deaths in Houston, Texas, after Dean Coral was shot by Elmer Wayne Henley. Amanda, 65 is not that old. Yeah, no. Um, I was actually quite shocked to hear that David had died. Now, um, this is this is an interesting case, and these two boys, like David Brooks, was I think he was just over 20 at the time that he handed himself in. But this is a, a case that um, has always had a soft spot for me because I, I believe that both um, Wayne Henley and David Brooks were victims themselves of Dean Call. So um, Dean was a, a procurer of, of young boys and, and he got these two young teenagers to help him find them by having them bring the boys from school and things like that. So these two boys then got to a point um, that like David Brooks was t- too old and so he sort of left this this crew of killers and um, Elmer Wayne Henley actually end, end up killing Dean Call and then and then confessing to the police of what he'd done and what they had all, all done collect- collectively. So um, the fact that uh, both David and Wayne have, have spent their entire lives basically in, in prison is quite sad and um, I don't actually know um, David's cause of death but I would say that it was probably a, a disease, maybe cancer actually got him. Oh, okay. Um, a very interesting case. Uh, mm-hmm. You're going to have to. We're going to have to do this one in the future. Oh, uh, we will. Yeah, and I mean, I've, I've been I've been speaking to Wayne for many many years now too. So um, I actually have sort of a, a, a bit of personal insight into this case as well. Oh, well, let's do that one soon. I'm really. Yeah, you hate it when I do this. When I. <laughs> you know. You hate I've it got... when I do this because I see a news story and I go, "Oh, this sounds like a really interesting case," and you're like, "Yes, it's on the list." Well, well, it is. It's definitely on, on, on the list. It's not in this season, but I can bring it forward like I've done a few times where, when you find a new story that that peaks We should interest. do it next so week. We... Uh... <laughs> no, because I've already done next week's episode. Oh, okay, so. <laughs> fair enough. All right, let's move on. It'll be coming in the next few weeks. Yes. A yes. possible serial killer in the making. That's how a police chief has described a man they've arrested who they believe is responsible for a string of stabbings in Eureka, California. Wesley Lee Starrett is accused of murdering Roger Mitch Clark and police also believe he was responsible for two other unprovoked stabbing attempts, one involving a 43-year-old man and another a 38-year-old woman. Amanda, a serial killer in the making. 
Well, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of people that actually go to jail for one killing or maybe two that they know that there was a a propensity for for them to go on and kill a lot more people. So uh, there is people that that police come across that, yeah, had they not been caught so quickly, they may have gone on to kill a lot more. And as we can see, this guy had two failed attempts as as well Mm. as one successful. So, you know, it, it does happen and I think it's more to do with these days that we are going to catch them quicker that we're actually going to decrease the numbers of serial killers because we can catch them so this guy you know this could have gone on to be 10 20 victims had had they not catched him caught him so quickly well eddie mosley known as the rape man has died he terrorized women in south florida in the 1970s and 1980s and his sexual crimes were so widely known that parents warned their daughters to avoid him if possible His body is now being tested for COVID-19 after 16 positive cases were discovered at the Sunland Centre where Mosley was being held. Amanda, Mosley was declared unfit to stand trial. Yeah, so this does happen sometimes, and and so they do hold them um, in in like a prison for the criminally insane. So though they aren't able to actually pin the crimes on them in a court of law they have enough evidence to detain them under the mental health act Mm. and so this is what's happened with eddie mosley and as we can see he has passed away um and there is a fair few killers that i think may pass away because of the close propensity that they have in in prisons uh and covid19 getting in from the outside It, it it will be interesting to see if we see a few more victims of covid yeah very interesting Okay, we will take a quick break and then come back with our psychological profile on Dylan Roof. And if you want to subscribe to the podcast and actually help us out, there's a couple of things you can do. You can go to iTunes or your favourite podcast player and leave a five-star review. That will help other people find us. There's a link in the show description of how you can actually just donate a couple of bucks our way just to make sure that uh, the podcast keeps going. Or you can subscribe to Patreon and get some extra benefits as well. Completely up to you and no hassle if you don't do that. But in a moment, our psychological profile is coming up. We'll be right back. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And Robin Robin Media executive Rob McKnight. Something brand new is coming to your social media feed. Big Brother winner Ben Norris. This is something bold and informative with a side of humour. And journalist David Robbo Robinson. It's truly going to be something different. The Ben Robin Robbo Show starts April 20. Go to tvblackbox.com.au slash BRR for more information. It's the Ben Robin Robbo, Ben Robin Robbo, Ben Robin Robbo Show. Warning, this episode discusses race and hate crimes in the US. With the current climate in the US, if you feel this episode may be a trigger for you, we suggest you skip to the next episode. On June 17, 2015, 21-year-old Dylan Roof walked into the Emmanuel African Methodist Epicostal Church in South Carolina, where a Bible reading class was being held. 
and shortly afterwards opened fire. In the attack, Groove killed nine people and injured a tenth. He fled the scene, but many recognised the man and an APB was put out on him. He was arrested the following day in North Carolina. Amanda, as always, before we start playing uh, the police interview, describe the scene for me. Well, this is so strange. For, for 2015, the footage of this interview is so bad, it looks like it is a VHS tape from 1923. You know, it's really, <laughs> when there really wasn't bad. even VHS tape. <laughs> when there wasn't, yeah. But it is really that bad. It's severely overexposed. Um, and so the mic... The minute details that we usually look for for, you know, cl- closing eyes and, and, and things like that, we're actually going to lose in this case. Right. But the sound, though, is really, really good. So um, the room is actually larger than what we normally have, have seen in interrogations. It's actually, I would call, a boardroom. So it's actually got a really long oval table that you would see in boardrooms. It's got the fancy executive high-back chairs. Um, roof actually sits on on the right side of of the room and is alone when the agents actually come in and he's quickly uncuffed as as we often see and it is 1.30 the day after the mass killing so um, as the two agents introduce themselves Roof is actually looking at his wrist where the handcuffs were and this sort of suggests that they were hurting him you know did you know Poor kid, you know, he just killed nine <laughs> people. But anyway, um, he's actually wearing the clothes that he had on the day before, so he hasn't even been stripped yet. So um, it's something that we haven't seen before as well, is that the agents actually get out their badges and put them in front of him to, to show their IDs. It's just something strange that they haven't done before. Yeah, they're in a police station, so you don't really need to prove your identity, surely. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's quite odd. Yeah, well, they go through his rights and then ask a few questions about his life. We want to talk to you about some stuff. I'm sure you probably already know that, that we want to talk to you. You know, we're hoping you want to talk to us and, and tell us your story and, you know, what happened, everything, your side of the events. I mean, I, I know a lot of stuff's been going on, a lot of stuff said and out there and everything. Well, I don't know anything about it, to be honest. I mean, about what's been said. Right, but, but we want to talk to you about what happened. Okay. Right. Here's the thing, right? Before we can talk to you, we have to go through and give you your rights, all right? And, and so what we're going to do, he, he's going to, Craig's going to read them to you. I'll basically explain them to you and go through each one, but anyway, we'll go again, but you, you do have the right to remain silent, all right? Now, if you, you can always decide any time to exercise these rights, you know, at any time you want. You can say, oh, you know what, I don't really want to talk no more. That's fine. Um, you have the right to have an attorney present with you prior to and during any questioning. If you can't afford to hire an attorney, we will be appointed to represent you prior to and during any questioning. But we're going to go through this form right here, and basically it's a form that they have up in North Carolina. And this basically this says, hey, that we can talk to you and you can talk to us. And we can just go through here, figure out what happened, where we're at, and all that, okay? The police officer, the federal agent, okay, whose name appears below, told me that he is with or with the FBI. So I'm Agent Stansbury and myself. Can explain to you, okay? And want to question you about the following offenses, all right? Which you're, um, so before you ask any questions about uh, what we want to speak to you about, uh, we want to make sure it's clear that you have, the, that you have the, the following rights, okay? You don't have to answer any questions or say anything. Do you understand that? Can you place your initials right next to that, saying you understand that? Just two initials? Yeah, your, your first initial and your last. There you go. Right? Anything that you say can be used, used as evidence against you in a criminal criminal case. Do you understand that? Mm-hmm. Can you put your initials there, please? All right. You have the right to speak to an attorney before or after questioning. 
or have an attorney present with you during questioning. If you can't afford to hire an attorney, one can be appointed for you and made uh, one would be obtained for you. Do you understand that? If you're willing to discuss uh, the offense under investigation or with without a lawyer present, you have the right to stop questioning at any time or speak to an attorney before answering any other questions. Do you understand that? Put your initials there. What I'd like you to do, can you read this for me? I want to make sure you understand that. You want me to read it out loud? Yeah, read that out loud, this little paragraph right there. Okay. I have read the statement of my rights and I understand what my rights are. I am willing to make a statement and answer questions. I do not want a lawyer at this time. I understand and know what I am doing. No promises or threats have been made to me and no pressure or coercion of any kind has been used against me by anyone. Okay. Having, having all these rights in mind, you wish to speak to us? Oh, sure. Okay. Can you just sign your name right there, please? Very good. So, Bill, you're, you're from South Carolina, right? Mm -hmm. You lived there your whole life? Where, where'd you go to school? Yes. Lexington, South Carolina, um, White Knoll High School, but then I went to Dreer High School in Columbia, but then I dropped out of it. Then I went to online school, and then I dropped out of online school, and then I just got a GED, that's it. You got your, so you got your GED? Yeah, that's it. Okay. What kind of work do you do? Uh, well, I don't have a job right now, but the only job I've ever had was just doing landscaping. You know, like lawn maintenance, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what it was. Okay. Okay. And, and, and where in Columbia did you live? Did you live with your mom or your dad? Or? Yes. Um, in uh, Eastover. Eastover? It's uh -huh. sort of... I know where Eastover is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Out Garnersbury Road? Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Was that where your, was that your mom or your... Well, that's my mom's boyfriend's house. But, I mean, I lived there. Okay. But... Lately, you know, I've been living, you know, at my dad's house, too, a little bit, so. Okay. Where's, where's he live? He lives right in Columbia, right downtown. Okay. Right, uh, near Park Street. Okay, I, I, know, I, know, I know what you're talking about, okay. Anyone else think he sounds like the councillor from South Park? Mm, okay. <laughs> in, in all seriousness, though, he seems pretty chill, but i got to say, he doesn't sound like the smartest of killers. Well, yeah, I mean, what we have here is someone who has a very unsettled background. So he, he was uh, sort of shared between both of his parents and their partners mm. and, and he does have OCD and, and he and he's poorly adjusted to actual life. And as he, he said, he changed schools frequently and he has a non-existent um, employment record. He, he was just one of these kids who, who preferred to stay home and play computer games and get high. And, in fact, he actually had a couple of um, encounters where the police prior to had the shooting and that was to do with him being a bit creepy around other people that they actually called the police on him. Right, OK. The agents, they've gotten through the getting to know you chit-chat pretty quickly. They go straight in. Um, well, can, can you tell us about what happened last night? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I just, I went to that church in Charleston, 
sometimes to, to say uh, it's not that I don't want to say it because I don't want to make myself seem guilty I just don't really like saying it but I know sometimes we have to face those things the realities you know. we don't want to put any words in your mouth that's why it's right. why Agent Stansbury just was asking what it exactly is that you that you, that you did do well I, did, I killed him well, I guess. I mean, I don't really know. Well, well, what, 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 I mean, well, I mean, I don't know how many people were here. So, did you, did you shoot them? Yes. What kind of gun did you use? <laughs> A Glock 45. Okay. okay. Was, that, was that your gun? or? Yes, I bought it from the gun store. Well, which gun store did you buy that from? Shooter's Choice? Shooter's in West Columbia, Shooter's Choice? Uh, well, it's in Columbia, I'm not sure. Yeah. The one, they got the indoor gun range there? Yes, yeah. I've never used it, but yes, they have one. Okay, so it's another one. Well, thanks for listening. We've got the confession, Amanda. We're all done. <laughs> I know. Wow. <laughs> this interrogation is the antithesis of almost every confession we do. There is sometimes a bit of fluffing about before they confess, but here it's like the first thing he says. But there was something in there too. He laughed when saying he used a Glock 45. Why was that? Well, it seems to be that he's actually proud of his weapon choice. And now he shouldn't have been able to get a Glock 45 because he did have a criminal record. Um, Mm. It was supposed to be a misdemeanor, but it was actually put in as a felony. So he shouldn't have been able to get a Glock 45. And so he's laughing because he knows that it was something that he shouldn't have had. And Ah. he'd actually been sort of stockpiling weapons for quite some time. So um, he actually was caught with a number of weapons and ammo in, in the car, but he loved his Glock 45 apparently. Right. Well, now the agents bring Ruth back to the shooting. So, so all right. So going back to the to the church, you you pulled out the gun and you shot him. Started shooting people, or, or how, I mean, how? Yeah, that's it. I mean, so do you know how many people you shot? If I was gonna guess. Maybe I'm really not sure exactly. You just start sure. Well, four, five. I'm not sure. Did, did you say anything to him before or after or during? No, I didn't say anything to him before anything. Before anything. What about what about after? said, like, don't talk to me or something like that, you know. Talk to why you were shooting? Well, they're like in the middle, you know. There is a disturbing element listening to this. The way Roof is answering, he sounds like he might be mentally challenged. He's slow to answer and his speech almost sounds slurred. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought the same thing too. I thought, okay, this is basically someone who who has a, a disability or a deficit and they've actually gone in and done this not really considering what they had done. But in fact, the absolute opposite is true and, and he actually has a quite a high IQ and oh. at trial he was even going to represent himself. But don't they all do that though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean we, we we hear it often. But, yeah, he, he actually had to go through a competency hearing to, to prove that he, he could and he was found to have an extremely high IQ. Now that's according to the judge but the evidence I found um, says that he has an IQ of 125, which is good but it's not great. So, you know, I certainly wouldn't call that an extremely high um, in intelligence. But, you know, it does make me think that he could be a savant. So he might be intelligent in some things and not in others, which is why he sort of can't think and, and, and speak so quickly. Um, but I can't, couldn't find anything that proved that diagnosis. But in the competency hearing, a psychiatrist actually stated in, in court that Roof is actually in the prodromal phase of an emerging psychophrenic spectrum disorder. So he was on the cusp of being a schizophrenic. So it is it mm. does suggest that there is sort of some mental deficit that, that was occurring that and he was about to have a, a complete psychotic break. So it's you know it's it, it's sort of he seems to be in, in two different parks with this. It's quite strange. Mm. All right, let's go back to the tape. How long how long were you at the church before you actually uh, before you you pulled your weapon out? You you said yourself you shot you think maybe five or so people. How long were you were you at the church before you decided that you were going to do that? Well, I just went in the church, you know, and then I sat down with them for like maybe fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes could have been twenty. It could have been ten, but I think that's probably around fifteen. Were they having a meeting or something? Or? No, no, no. This was a Bible study class. So you knew the Bible study class was going to happen? Yes. So he's sitting there for a while before opening fire. Other masculines have done that too, haven't they? Yes, they do, and and I find it quite strange. I mean, if I was in their place, I think I would go in shooting. I don't, I don't think I would sit there. But um, this is something that that, that we're going to learn in this interview, you know. But there are others that, that have done that, like Martin Bryant in Port Arthur did that. Wade Franken, the, the Strathfield Moor killer, did it. Even James Holmes, the James Holmes, the uh, killer Joe in the Batman film dad the same thing he literally bought a ticket went sat in sat in the front row watched part of the film and then started firing so it's mm. not uncommon but it's not common at, at the same time you know um i think it's that they arrive at their situation at at their destination then they decide what they're going to do and they sort of think about if they're going to do it they they go through almost like a final check before they open fire you know most of them actually do dry runs of, of the places and and Roof had actually been to the local shopping centre several times and asked questions that would have suggested that was his his first um, place that he was going to do this attack. But um, he was actually banned from the shopping centre because he had been asking disturbing questions of uh-huh. women who worked there. So it looks like that he, he then uh, changed his focus to the church purely because it did have black parishioners. So many red flags with yeah, this guy. Yeah, there is. There, there is, is quite a few. So, you know, it, it looks like that he was planning that this attack and what he wanted to do, he just had to find the perfect place. Mm. Well, then he got to the church, he sat down, as we said, and then he started shooting. Let's take a listen to how he describes it. Well, right right before, or when you pulled out your gun and started to shoot, or right before, 
did you say, remember what you said or if you said anything to the people when you pulled? Because, I mean, oh, no, I didn't if you suddenly pulled out a gun, and I'm like, Right, that's what I did. I didn't say anything to them before I pulled it out. Did they? See Not even one word. I didn't say anything. To did they? Did they see or anybody react to you as you pulled the gun out, or were you already shooting before they knew what was happening? I mean, they reacted after I shot. Yeah, right, we understand. Yeah, yeah. I guess my my question. It might have been a bad question. I was just trying to. You know, some of the, if I suddenly found a gun, if I pulled a gun out and everybody saw it, people might start to run or whatever. Oh, no, 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 it was very fast. It was not like, I was like, you know, it was like quick motion. So can you show what, what, were you sitting down and you did it or did you stand up or what? Yeah, I was sitting down the first, the first shit. Yeah. Can you show me like what you did? I mean, yeah, it was just like, you know, did you like this or just, yeah, like, you know, and just started shooting it? Yeah. So, Amanda, he sort of has skimmed over it. Explain to me exactly what happened in the shooting. Well, they were all sitting on various tables. So there was about 10 people in the room and he sat at one of the tables but so he could see everyone that was there. And he literally took his gun out of his fanny pack sort of thing on, on, on the front of him and he started shooting from the seated position. So it wasn't sort of this, you know, like we see in films where they stand up and the chair goes backwards mm. and they open fire. He literally calmly just started shooting from his seated position. Wow. Well, he then describes how he entered with all the weapons and ammo. And we'll go back and I'll ask you some more questions. See, I had it in a bag. It was in a bag. The bag's there. I dropped it. Yeah, you dropped it. It was bag. a black bag. Look, it was like a thing you can buy a sporting goods thing, you know, for military people to hook on their whatever, their vest or whatever. But I just put it in my belt. And I had all my magazines and the gun in there. When I walked in the church, this thing was right on me, in front of me, you know. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, my God, they're going to see it, you know. And obviously they did because, I mean, this thing is big, it's heavy, uh-huh. you know, because it's got, what, seven magazines, and I put 11 bullets in each magazine. They can hold 13, but I didn't want to jam, like, get to jam or anything like that. So, you know, but anyway, it's still really heavy. Anyway, they saw it, but I just sat down because I guess they just didn't say anything. You know, and then I was sitting there and I was like, you know, just thinking about whether I should do it or not. You know, that's why I was sitting there for 15 minutes, just like, oh, uh, you know, like, because I know I could have just walked out, you know, because they didn't say anything to me about, what, you know, the thing on my belt. So I could have walked out, you know, and that's why I was just thinking, you know. But then I just, you know, like, I just, uh, like, I don't know, it's like, not, I you want to say spur of the moment, but you know, I just, I just finally decided I had to do it. And that's pretty much this is really interesting, Amanda. So he's sitting there giving himself a pep talk. He almost had that sliding doors moment mm-hmm. where he could have got up and walked out, but he actually made the choice to go ahead with his plan. Exactly, and and it proves that he was probably ready a few other times as well, and this was the one. This He knew that he had the right um, demographic that, that, that he wanted to target, and he he actually says that he, he walked in with all of these magazines on him and no one said anything, and so his heart would have been pumping. He would have been freaking out, wondering if they could take him down, but he was accepted. When he walked in, they didn't say, you know, this is a black-only church or anything like that. They 
They welcomed him, asked him to sit down. They gave him a pamphlet and then he decided to, to shoot them after giving himself a pep talk saying, this is it. Mm. Well, the agents actually ask him that and the interrogation takes, unfortunately, a disgusting turn. Why did you have to do it? Oh, I had to do it. How come? I mean, that's what I, that's what I don't want to know. Well, I had to do it because somebody had to do something. Because, you know, black people are killing white people every day on the streets. And they rape, they rape white women, a hundred white women a day. That's an FBI statistic from 2005. Yeah, that's 10 years ago. It might even be more now, who knows. It sounds unrealistic, but you bring it down, that's two estates, really not unrealistic at all. It could not be more. You know, the fact of the matter is, what I did is so minuscule to what they're doing to white people every day, all the time. And just because that doesn't get on the news doesn't mean it's not happening. You know, everybody knows that the news is biased for black people. You know, we can pretend it's not, but we know it is. Wow. Um, in light of the current situation with George Floyd, this is amazing to hear in such a bad way. And you can totally understand the anger that we're seeing out on the streets with the Black Lives Matter protests. This is the kind of racism and discrimination uh, people of colour are dealing with. Absolutely. It's 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 pretty horrific. And for him to come and, and say things like that um, as evidence, you know, he goes, you know, I'm, I'm quoting FBI statistics, he is part of the problem you know and and his his whole attack was racially motivated and he wanted to kill black people and that's why he, mm. he chose a black church you know and and it's just so disgusting this that this was a pretty big case but it's not huge compared to people like James Holmes that was even bigger but it, it just proves that the racial hatred in in the US is is endemic and pandemic and it's it's something that they really need to look at and fix but it's people that have these uh thoughts in their heads and just talk about it like this it's just it it's i don't know i just as as you said it just makes makes me furious to to think that people because of the color of of the skin that they don't like them it just Mm. i don't know it, it perplexes me yeah well the just like us the officers are dumbfounded and they try to regroup they appeared to have not realised this was a hate crime. You said you had to do this because... So basically what you're... I had to do it because nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else is brave enough to do anything about it, you know. Back in the late 80s and the early 90s, you know, we had skinheads and stuff like that. There's no skinheads left. There's no KKK. KKK never did anything anyway. So basically, you were trying to make a uh, you're trying to make a statement or prove a point on behalf of the white race. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, in a way, I guess. Did somebody help? Did 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 you talk to people or anybody in particular about this prior to making this decision oh, to do this? No, this no. So you came you came about this decision solely solely by yourself. All right. And did you? Um, it, what's the reason why you? Because you said you um, you'd never been in that church before. Right. But you said as you were driving by once, and correct me if I'm wrong, you saw somebody getting into the car. So you asked oh, yeah, I was walking. Okay, was... you were walking, and you saw somebody getting into a car, so you asked, the, you asked about a Bible study. Is that correct? No, I just asked them, I said, when is the church service 
you know, and then she told me the church service and the Bible study or something like that in the Times or something. Was that, was that an African-American woman or a white yes, woman? Yes, yes. Well, this is an African Methodist Episcopal. Is that what AME stands for? I think I think that's what it stands for. I'm not so sure. that, that's why you, that why you chose that church? Oh, yes. Because you were looking for African-Americans. Right. Right. I wasn't going to go to another church, you know, because there could have been white people there. So you 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 didn't want to kill any white people, or she didn't. Oh no! You just wanted to 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 to, to, no. to black people. All right, you know. So the police needed to know if this was an individual hate crime or as part of a group. Yeah, I mean, they, it seems that they were totally caught off guard. So they thought that he just chose a church so that, that they thought it was probably a, a, a crime against a religion. But they find out that he chose that church because it's a black church and a black-only yeah. church. So um, they, they then have to regroup and they have to think how, how they're going to tackle this because it's a very different crime now. Changes everything. It does, it does. And it's interesting that if a white person kills people of other race, it's a hate crime. But if it was you know, um, someone from an Arab country, it would have been a terrorist attack. It's so weird mm. how the dialogue is very different. And there's another episode where we're going to do soon about that too. But it's in, it's weird that they had no idea that he, as a white person, was aiming and, and chose his church purely because of colour. Well, they actually ask him why he chose his hometown. What was the reason why... Um... Because so if you're from, you're, you, you live in your dad's for a while and you stayed at your mom's for a while, what was the reason why you chose Charleston as your location? Why why that particular area there? Well, the reason I chose Charleston is because, you know, it's just, it's, I like Charleston. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really nice down there. Uh, it's a historic city, you know. You know, at one time, I think it had the highest ratio of black people to white people in the whole country, you know, when, when we had slavery, but, you know, and then the other reason is just because that AME church was historic, too, you know, it was an historic AME church. I mean, I guess that's pretty much the reason. So he chose it because he likes the town. Yeah, and then he starts going on with the statistics again. So, you know, we started off with a guy who, who as we said, was slurring. He sounded slow. The, yes. They sounded that there was a deficit. Now he's into it and he hasn't been judged. Now, these officers haven't sort of gone, that's disgusting, mm. that, that this was a hate crime. And because of that, he's really lo- loosened up and he's going with it now. So he chose his church because it's black and it's his hometown, so he knows the area. And so he was able to scout this out and know where to go and, and where to escape to and, and things like that. So this is what we see a lot with serial killers is that they go to areas that, that they know and they're comfortable with. So this is why he chose his hometown. Yeah, well, the agents take him back to the events. When, when you first walked in and they were having a uh, Bible study, did anybody even acknowledge you or say anything or say, you know, yeah, they, they, they gave me a uh, they gave me a sheet, they gave me a sheet. So they they welcomed you. These people did. Right, but I, I mean, I didn't like I said, I didn't say anything to them. They just handed me the sheet, pretty much. So, you know, there wasn't that many people there. There was only like eight people there. So when you walked in, there were eight people. Was it was it in the main sanctuary? Was it in a, a what, what do you recall when you walked in? There were eight people. Where were they all positioned? Were they just around like table? Around tables? Yeah. It wasn't in the sanctuary. Okay. So it was around tables. And yeah. where did you position yourself? Were you in front of them? In, like, 
in the midst of them? Are you in back of them, to the side of them? Do you recall? Well, you know, there's, there's like a table here and a table here, you know, and I'm sitting here. Most of the other people are there. So next I get him to draw a map of where it all occurred before asking him to explain the next part. When you finally thought, no, I've got to do this, I've got, I've got to, you know, you came here to do it and you told yourself you had a thought, you, you had a thought about leaving, right? Yes, I did. But then you said, no, I, I'm here, i got to do it. Right. And so you, you pulled your gun out of the bag. How many magazines did you have in your bag? Eight. Yeah, but one was in the gun. Yeah, seven yeah. in the back. Seven in the back. Okay. So, for the, how many times did you reload? All the times. So you went through all eight magazines. Yes. No, 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 no. Actually, no. I went through seven magazines, and I took one magazine with me. Which is still no, the gun. And where's the gun at now? Well, it wasn't my car when they arrested. When they arrested. So the gun. And I told them about it. And it's got a loaded, the one loaded mag. So you shot through, you had, essentially, you said you put like 10 or 11 bullets in each magazine. So, right. So, so, so the gun wouldn't malfunction, the misfeed or whatever, right? Right. And so you, you, bet you reloaded, you shot and reloaded seven times. Or am I right? One of the magazines. And it, well, reloaded, yeah, because the last one you took with you. You shot. Right. One that was in there. Shot it. Went through six more magazines shooting and right. then really left. Did you, so but by that time, I mean, people that were already down, did you walk up and shoot them that had already, you know, um, went to the fellow See, it was sort of complicated because they were all like under the tables. You see what I'm saying? It's not like I was like, a, you know, going around shooting people that were already dead or anything like that. It's just when I shot a magazine, it's like I just went, bah, 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 bah. you see what I'm saying? Like at one person, you see what I'm saying? So, so they, so when you started shooting, I guess you say you were so quick shooting on the line, maybe they didn't even see where it was coming from. Right, well, the all, first shots, and they all dove under the table. Right, 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 right. Everybody dove under. Everybody did. You know, it's overkill, isn't it? Seven magazines, eleven bullets in each, seventy-seven shots in total, and we know that nine people died. Uh, one thing that does spring to mind when I think about those stats, Amanda, is. He's not a very good shot, thankfully. Well, yeah, because um, these people were sort of shot so so quickly that they didn't realise, and he actually does shoot under the tables, but, but he doesn't go around and hunting them. You know, it's it's not like we saw with, with the Christchurch case where, where he kept coming back over and over again. He sort yeah. of just sort of fires around it, and, and I think because he's he's a pretty skinny, you know, 21-year-old that um, – I don't think he, he had control over it that he thought he would. So the adrenaline as well, he would have been exhausted before he even started. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that that church is peppered with, with gunshot purely because he had sort of gone a, a, a bit crazy try, trying to hold ah, it together. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, in the next part, he says something a little bit odd. And then you went around the tables to shoot them. No, not, not exactly, you, you know, because there's some people that I didn't shoot. I think there was two people that I didn't even shoot at all. Like, one woman was over here, you know, and I didn't even shoot her at all, because you know, she was, like, looking at me and stuff. Well, she, so you didn't shoot that one woman because she was looking at you. <laughs> but, but actually, it's hard, it's hard to shoot somebody when they're looking at you, right? I mean, it is. It's hard to shoot somebody anyway. Right, right. He sounds like a coward. 
Yeah, so a woman stood up to him basically and stared him down and he chose not to shoot her. So, you know, as he said, it's it's actually hard to shoot people anyway, but, you know, this is where he gets a bit vague because he doesn't actually want to talk about the specifics of what he does because he's actually quite traumatised by what he's he's done. He knows what he's done is bad. Um, of, of course, he, he still has a couple of laughs as well, but um, he's he knows that what he's, he's done is wrong and so he's just trying to sort of gloss over it a bit. He doesn't want to say that he, he hunted these people down. Let's continue. So the first man he's going to come to you pull it out and you just start shooting. You go through that very quick. Everybody dies on the table. You then reload the magazine. Do you like just get up and start moving around as people are under the table just shooting? You know? Yeah, but you know, I was you know, I was just sort of pacing around, you know, because I was like freaking out a little bit too, you know what I mean? It's not I, I was there was pauses in between and you were thinking about you know what I should do and stuff. But I guess in a way, I guess you could say that's what I was doing. I never considered the fact that a rampage killer would consider stopping during the shootings. I know, and this is why this is a really good example because it is showing us what what their, their thought process is. So, you know, Roof is, is saying that he's freaking out whilst he's doing it and you think that they're going to go for, for broke, but he actually doesn't. He sort of does what he needs to do and then leaves. He's, he's not going to continue now. It can be go for broke when we see cases like Columbine, which wasn't actually meant to be a school shooting. It was supposed to be like basically a terrorist attack. Um, But they do go to a point that their last victims are themselves, whereas he had no desire to do that. He's actually going to talk about that he did have that extra magazine in case he had to take himself out. But he had no desire to actually kill himself and he didn't want to go down in in the way that he's just killed these people. But the fact that he goes, you know, I thought about stopping, it's it's just so unusual to hear that. Mm, I can feel another database coming on. <laughs> I've actually started it. So, uh, <laughs> but, I mean, but this is a data point that we do need to consider that is it a go for broke or is it a, a do they get to a point where they go, holy shit, I have to stop? Mm. Well, let's go back to Ruth's confession as he describes leaving the church. Okay, so after you shoot, do you leave all your magazines laying on the ground? Yes. Except you put a fresh one in, so you, your eighth magazine, you load. Right. So you drop, you leave the bag there, you've got the gun. What do you do next? Well, then I leave. Right. Oh, well, I mean, but you go out the, the door and let's see. Okay, and where did you go to? I mean, where's your car? Did you, where's your car? I went to my car. And where had you parked at? Right by the door. Just out on the street? Or is yeah. it a parking lot? Literally right by the store. So you have a parking space. So this is, there's, this is a street parking right out here? No, no, no. This, they've got a gate, you see. And then they've got parking oh, space. So you went into the gate and parked? Yes, yes. And then got out, parked by the door, walked in, walked out. Would you, would you mind initialing this? And write, write the word door right there. Initial in this? Well, this so they do it yours, so later you can say, yeah, that's me. I mean, just write the word door right there. You can write initial, like right about where you were. I don't know if I said initial. That's fine. That's okay. You don't have to. That's fine. Um, but anyway, so you go and you get your car. And you, uh, you get your, and leave. So where do you go? Well, to be honest, I was an absolute awe that there was nobody out there after I had shot that many bullets. I was like, oh my God, what are these cops doing? They're not even really doing their job. If you hear how many shots, I don't know how many shots that was, 
what's what is it? Seven times eleven. Seventy-seven. You know, there's not even a cop outside. You know, so obviously when I walked out that door, you know, I peeked out the door. So I thought there was going to be somebody there ready to shoot me, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, that's really why I had the last magazine. It's not to shoot cops, it's so I can shoot myself. You see what I'm saying? When they, when I saw a cop. So you had, a, so if, you, if the law enforcement would show up, you would have been a witness. Yeah, I wasn't going to ever shoot at a cop. I was going to shoot myself. But anyway, like I said, there was, there was no cop. So I just got in my car and then uh, I just drove out of Charleston. It's interesting. He says he did consider killing himself. Yeah, well, he says that now, but, you know, he had plenty of opportunities to do that. Even when he was being taken into custody, he could have done it. So I think it was more of a last resort that if he had to go down, that's the way he would do. He would go on his own terms and and, and not the police officer's turn. But as we see, he was arrested and he's been quite compliant with, with his confession. Well, the agents then ask how he became a racist. I guess my question is, was there ever a time where you... Right. Well, I'll tell you, yeah. the first thing that I guess I could say, I, I would say woke me up, you know, would be the, the Trayvon Martin case, you know, and that was a while back. Right. What was it, two years ago? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, I kept hearing about this kid, you know, and I'm like, eventually I decided to, you know, look look his name up, just type him into Google, you know what I'm saying? And then I read the the Wikipedia article about Trayvon Martin, and I couldn't understand what the big deal was, you see what I'm saying? And then, for some reason, after I read that, I, I, I typed in... Uh, for some reason, it made me type in the, the words "black on white crime," and that's that was it. You know, ever since then. So prior to that, you really didn't think too much about black and white relations or white and black relations. All right. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, you lived in South Carolina. You know, there's so many black people here. You know, every white person in South Carolina probably has at least a little bit of racial awareness. You know, naturally, because there's so many black people, but. It's superficial, you see what I'm saying? It's no real understanding behind it. Right. So, so basically, after the Trayvon Martin incident, yeah. you said you said it woke you up, and you did a little bit of research. Right. After you researched that, and you started looking at you said black on white crime, is that correct? Right. So what happened after that? If you could, just just carry me through the, you, know, you studied that. Were there other, other, re- other research uh, topics that you looked into? Well, then I found out, you know, like I said, what was happening in Europe. In a lot of ways, it's even worse over there than it is here. London's only 60% white, you know. We've got so many Muslims over there in Europe. They're being swamped. There's going to be a race war in Europe, too, I bet. You know, France, they don't even take demographics. I don't even know where to begin with this. Yeah, I mean, considering the current climate over there, it just... It's surprising that this didn't cause more outrage than it should have. Um, it's just so weird how ingrained their racism is and and for him to go from the horrific murder of Trayvon Martin as and he was a victim, he had done nothing wrong and he was killed for wearing a hoodie 
and he interprets that as let's look at the switch and see how often blacks kill whites. Now, it's actually mm. quite low and it's it's not horrific, but it is about, you know, the BLM is, is, is something that we need to consider a lot, especially with, with, with cases like this. And and yeah. I don't know, I'm, I'm the same with you. I'm perplexed by the racism that seems to happen, especially with whites against blacks in the US. And, you know, it's it's a bit insightful now so it's, and, and it's a bit passionate well, right this now is, this as well. is a good time to listen to something like this to try and understand it. But, look, let's go back to the interview and the agents then want to revisit the moment when Ruth knew it was today or never. So at some point, you then decide, well, you have your gun, right? You bought that a while back. Do you go to the store and you say, all right, I'm going to buy these, but i got to get the bullets for the job? No, I had had bullets, you know. I mean, I had bought bullets weeks ago. Okay, but did you buy that? Did you buy the bullets with the intent of doing, of going to kill the black people? You know, I mean, if, I mean, if you're at the gun store and you're like, yeah, these bullets right here, these are the bullets I need to get. Cause well, I guess so. I mean, you know, but, I mean, I could have used them just to shoot the gun, too. You see what I'm saying? Right, right. But you wanted, I mean... Uh, right, I mean, I had to have enough bullets right. you know, to fill up the magazines, sure. And then in the hollow points... You know, gun, gun bullets that are known to stop people. I mean, right. I mean, just like we carry bullets there, you know, you know, we want to carry good bullets. And so you thought that? I'm just saying, did you think about it? I mean, yeah, I thought about it. Okay. Now, where did you buy the bullets at? Walmart. Just Walmart. Which do you know which one? Well, actually, I bought them at different Walmarts. You know, not for any reason. It's just they didn't have the money. You know, buy them. So you just got to stop. I mean, not I say stop. You go to your Walmart. Well, it's just two. It's only two boxes. You know, but. Two boxes. So you bought one box and one Walmart and one box of Yeah. This guy killed nine people and he appeared not to think as deeply about it as the agents hoped that he had. Yeah, I mean, it just proves it's not well planned out. And this is what we see with some cases. I mean, others like Columbine did actually have a clear plan. A clear plan. It actually failed, but but they did try. But he just sort of thought, yeah, seventy seven will do. You know, I'll I'll take eight magazines with me. I'll I'll have an extra ten in case you know something goes wrong. But he really had no idea if he he was going to walk into a group of a hundred people, or if he mm. was going to walk into a group of ten. He had no idea. So he could have actually killed like half the people, and they could have torn him apart then and there had he not been able to kill as many as he had or if there had been more people. Yeah. It just it just proves that he had just hoped that's what was going to happen and he didn't sort of plan an out if if, if he needed one. Mm. Well, next he explains what happened when he left the church. So now we're kind of going back to what, what you mentioned before when you left. You're kind of in shock. Hey, the police didn't show up. I'm alive. I didn't have to kill myself because that's what you were going to do when you came out, right? And, and, and so you're like, where do I go? And you just, you drove right. all over to you, decided to come to Charlotte. Right. And, and why did you decide to come to Charlotte? I don't know. You know, just the names, just want to come to Charlotte. Okay. So you, it was sort of close, you know, not too far away. Because yeah. you have a lot of gas, you know. Were you, uh, Obviously, I didn't want to use my debit card at the gas station because you know, that would track it. But obviously, I did use my debit card eventually. What did you use it at? I used it at ATM because I had to get more gas. How much cash you get? Cash. You got cash at the ATM, right? Yeah, I only got $20. Okay, and then you went and got some gas? Yeah. Where at? 
It's in Charlotte. Okay, now, then you drove out this way to, I mean, to Shelby. Uh, yeah. Did, were you, when they stopped you, were you driving or were you? Yeah, I was driving. And so they pulled you over? Did, what'd you think? What went through your head? Oh, well, I knew they were going to get me eventually anyway. Yeah. I was just waiting for them. Where was the gun? I mean, did you think I was? No, the gun was in the back seat. Oh, no. <laughs> By that time, you said, yeah, I guess I'm not going to have to kill myself, right? Well, right. I had already decided that it's just a bad idea. Yeah. Did you, when the, when the, when the policeman pulled you over, and obviously you didn't want to do that, I mean, you, 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 were, you had decided, all right, I'm just going to give up. Right. Okay. Did you say anything to the policeman after, when he pulled you over and he walked up to the car? Oh, no, I didn't say anything. Just, you know, trying to put my hands on the wheel, that's it. He didn't tell you why he was stopping you? I mean, <laughs> you knew why he was stopping me. Yeah. But, uh, did, I mean, did you tell him I did it, or do you remember saying anything like that? No, I didn't say anything like that. They just said, you know, uh, are you connected to what happened? I think something like that. You know, just said yes. Okay. And then you told him, you said, I think you said you told him the guns in the car. Right, they said, is there anything in the car? And then I said, yeah, you're good to the back seat. Okay. Where were you headed to when they stopped you? They turned. Well, I was going to, this might sound sort of weird, but I was going to try to go to Nashville. Nashville? Why? Yeah. Why Nashville? <laughs> Why not? Yeah. For no reason. I've never been to Nashville. Yeah. But it's sort of far away. I don't know if I've been able to make it. So you really didn't have a good plan, escape plan because you didn't think you'd make it out. Right. There was no escape plan. Had you thought about going, hey, I guess more bullets and go shoot some more people? Oh, or no. I was worn out. There's no way. Is worn out. Yeah, see, it's it's something that we don't consider, you know, because he had had that massive adrenaline rush, and and that then he had had his fight or flight. Does he stay? Does he go? Is he about to get mm. killed when he walks out this door? He had a fear of death, regardless of what he, he's saying about trying to kill himself. He knew that that wasn't the plan, and he had fear of retribution. He didn't know that there wasn't a hundred people about to walk in into that church mm. or a tactical response group or anything like that. And so he just got in his his car and started driving. As he said, I was going to head, head to Tennessee. He, he didn't really care. He just needed to get out of there and didn't think that he would have got this far. So that adrenaline would have slowly sort of depleted everything and he would have been totally exhausted. Um, the agents then asked Ruth two questions and I don't think we've heard these asked before. But how do you feel personally about it? Are you glad you did it? Well, I want to say I'm glad I did it. You know, I've done it. You said it was something you had to do? Yeah, I have to do it. If, if you were, if you could back up, would, would you do it again? I mean, that's, that's how strongly you felt about this issue, right? <laughs> well, at the moment, you know, if I could back up to where I was just still sitting at the table thinking about walking out, I might walk out, I'm not going to lie. But, yeah. This is interesting. He wouldn't do it again, and he didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's quite amazing, isn't it? So, you know, you, you have to then ask why did he do it if if it didn't bring him the pleasure or the response that he expected? You know, it's it's perplexing, but it's so interesting to, to get that response that, no, he wouldn't do it again, and, no, he didn't enjoy it. So, you know, we can hope that the next person hears this and, and decides not to do it either. So is this regret? I, I don't think so. You know, we're, we're, mm. we're talking about an unstable man. He does have a, a superiority complex, and that's for sure. And his his 
his racial hatred is almost conspiracy like he he believes that he's doing good by killing people of certain races purely because he, he believes that they're doing more harm to his race than than he is on theirs i mean it's 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 just confusing and you know there is absolutely no regret but we do have a full confession which is good mm. well the agents then talk to roof about how many people died so if I, if I told you nine people died last night, how would that make you feel? And I wouldn't believe you. It was nine. There wasn't even nine people there. It was just a little bit over nine. But it's hard when you're looking at the tables to judge people. Because you said when you went in there, you said it could have been six, eight. You really weren't certain. You know. Are you guys lying to me? No, we're not. Eight people were dead at the scene. Two were rushed to the hospital, so I guess it was 10 people were shot. Actually had gunshot injuries, it's my understanding. The, the, uh, the ninth person died at the hospital, but eight people were, were dead on the scene. They showed up. I mean, I mean so... How do you feel? In all honesty. Well, it makes me feel bad. But also? But, but, but uh, it's critical sample. I mean, your mission was to kill black people. I mean, you killed nine black people. Why doesn't he believe them? I think this is from the trauma. He he has blocked out what's happened. He just knows that he opened fire um, and he was shooting in, in, indiscriminately and he was more introspective. Uh, he, he was looking towards what he thought and what he saw rather than what was actually going on. So, um, you know, if, if they had told him that, that there was 20 people, he would have had, had to have believed that too because he has no idea and he's actually shut down to to what has actually occurred and it would would be interesting to see if this interview had gone the same way if they had a black officer question him i would have really loved to have seen if they mm. had changed that once they found out it was a hate crime had they brought in an officer of color i think that might have changed the whole conversation which is why they stayed with with two white officers two white agents actually um just to keep him at a place that he felt respected because of mm. his own color Mm, interesting. Well, Roof was found guilty of 33 charges resulting from the mass shooting. He was sentenced to death for the federal crimes and sentenced to nine life sentences in state court. He sits on death row in Indiana. Amanda, what a fascinating profile. Thank you very much for bringing that to us. Thank you. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> mm, me too. I look forward to our next adventure as we delve into the files of Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. Thanks, Amanda. We'll see you next week. See ya. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.